0: As you know, it's important to me that the supplements I recommend and use are of the highest quality. That's why I stock the Protocol for Life Balance product line at my online dispensary, drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. Protocol for Life Balance offers a wide range of professional-grade products using ingredients backed by strong scientific research. Among them, several stand out for their cardio health support, Cardio Triplex, Clinical Cardio 6, natokinase, and ubiquinol. Each of these products takes its own unique approach to cellular energy production, maintaining normal blood fluidity, healthy immune response to normal biological stress, and maintaining blood pressure already within the healthy range. They're available from healthcare practitioners and they're available to you at drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. That's drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance for more information and to order.
1: Welcome to Intelligent Medicine. I'm your host, Layla Mutin. I'm a registered dietitian-nutritionist. In the, my last two podcasts, I talked about this wonderful review article. Statin therapy is not warranted for a person with high LDL cholesterol on a low-carbohydrate diet. Before listening to this podcast, if you're new to the Intelligent Medicine podcasts. I would strongly encourage you to first listen to part one of this particular topic, which was August 26th, and part two, which is September 2nd, and this one is September 9th. Now, last week, I left off uh, saying that the causal role of... Cardiovascular disease is not all about the LDL cholesterol. It's more about the de- derangements in insul- that insulin resistance causes, that being the greatest risk. So there are a myriad of mechanisms whereby insulin resistance contributes to the pathogenesis of atherosclerosis, which is coronary artery disease. Insulin resistance-related measures that are well established, that, that are well-established independent risk factors for cardiovascular disease. They include hypertension, that's high blood pressure. Glycocalyx disruption secondary to hyperglycemia. Let me translate that. It's that endothelial dis- dysfunction, the glycocalyx, the glycocalyx is what is in there, part of that matrix, that gets disrupted. And that is being disrupted due to high blood sugars. Throprombosis, advanced glycation end products, you know, AGEs, so aptly named, advanced glycation end products that's associated with endothelial dysfunction and impaired nitric oxide synthesis. We know that nitric oxide is critical to the proper vasodilation of coronary arteries to help with the regulation of of blood pressure. Nitric oxide synthesis is critical to that. Now, these insulin resistance related mechanisms contribute to adverse effects on blood vessel structure and function through multiple distinct mechanisms Insulin resistance is often the primary driver for hypertension, including stimulation of sodium retaining channels within the kidney as well as activation of the sympathetic nervous system. That's your fight flight. That's what we're talking about. The chronic hyperinsulinemia that occurs concurrently in insulin resistance, promotes chronically elevated epinephrine, which elicits cardiovascular activation, including increased cardiac output and systemic vasoconstriction, that's the constriction of your blood vessels, as well as an enhancement of platelet aggregation. And that's what can cause thickening and clots. Insulin resistance associated hyperinsulinemia is also associated with cardiovascular disease risk through increased macrophage lipid accrual in blood vessel. That's your white blood blood cells grabbing hold of lipid within your circulation and in the blood vessels. As macrophages accrue, lip, accrue lipids, they become foam cells. Foam cells are a staple feature of atherosclerotic plaques, not only constituting a major portion of the plaque itself, but also contributing to atherosclerosis by aggressively secreting pro-inflammatory cytokines. Scientists have demonstrated that insulin increased macrophage oxidized LDL uptake by more than 80% and produced almost three times greater total lipid uptake into the macrophage, into the white blood cells, in as little as 16 hours. This is all started by hyperinsulinemia. It causes the white blood cells... <clears throat> to grab the lipids and form foam cells. This is a staple feature of those atherosclerotic plaques. And those plaques secrete pro-inflammatory cytokines. You know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Once the plaque is there, it's also behaving as an endocrine gland. That's, it's fascinating. So insulin resistance, and more specifically Type 2 diabetes and obesity are associated with serum lipid components, which are well-established risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Specifically, uh, LDL cholesterol is contained in heterogeneous particles which range in size and composition, from a small, dense LDL to a large, buoyant LDL, which is distinct from the inclusion of lipoprotein little a in the total LDL measure. We talked about lipoprotein A in part two. That's why I encourage you to go back to part one and part two, August 26 and September second, respectively. So you've heard me talk about pattern A LDL, which is a large buoyant, and the pattern B LDL, which is a small, small dense LDL, which is more atherogenic. This is what they're discussing here. Circulating small, dense LDL, unlike large, buoyant LDL, readily undergoes atherogenic modifications in the plasma, including glycation. And that has to do with the high blood blood sugar that is causing that, which is associated with heightened inflammation, hyperglycemia, and an increased incidence of cardiovascular disease in the general population and in those familial hypercholesterolemia individuals that we talked about all the way back in part one. The distinction between LDL particle subclasses based on size and density, it's also important because small dense LDL is a component of the atherogenic dyslipidemia risk triad which is composed of elevated levels of triglycerides and small dense LDL in concert with low HDL. So that's the the dyslipidemia risk triad that they're talking about. High triglycerides and high small dense LDL in concert with low HDL. The high triglycerides, elevated small dense LDL and low HDL are each Individually, small markers, strong markers, strong markers of cardiovascular disease risk. Uh, And I'm reminded of what the late Dr. Stephen Sinatra used to say, that the people who lived the longest had low triglycerides, high HDL, and low insulin levels. And they're talking exactly about that here. How when you have the opposite, these are the actual risk factors. Now, conversely, large buoyant LDL has not been shown to be a cardiovascular disease risk factor as demonstrated in the Atherosclerosis Risk in Community Study, the Quebec Cardiovascular Study, the Multi-Ethnic Study of Atherosclerosis, and the Framingham Offspring Study. And ultimately... The assessment of small, dense LDL and large buoyant LDL subpopulations provides a greater prediction of cardiovascular disease risk than does LDL cholesterol all by itself. The superiority of the atherogenic dyslipidemia risk triad over total LDL as a reliable means of assessing cardiovascular disease risk, has been known for more than three decades. In 1988, scientists reported that individuals with the atherogenic dyslipidemia risk triad, referred to as pattern B, the pattern B cholesterol that I was talking about earlier, exhibited, quote, a three-fold increased risk of heart attack, independent of age sex and relative weight end quote. even then it was understood that total cholesterol and ldl cholesterol were of limited value of markers of cardiovascular risk comparable findings were demonstrated in the framingham offspring study in which low hdl levels <clears throat> And elevated triglycerides were correlated with reduced low large buoyant LDL, increased small dense LDL, and an increased incidence of coronary artery disease. They've known this since nineteen eighty eight. Similarly, scientists reported a significantly greater insulin of ischemic heart disease in men with the combination of, again, high triglycerides, low LDL, and these are features of the metabolic syndrome, compared to men with low triglycerides and high HDL, which is desirable, independent of whether the men had lower high LDL cholesterol. It was independent of that. Related work has been shown that an elevated triglycerides to HDL ratio is predictive of both a pattern B, the small dense LDL profile, and an overall increase in cardiovascular risk. Similar findings were reported by scientists who reported that high triglycerides and low HDL levels were associated with cardiovascular disease progression, which was independent of LDL cholesterol levels and lipid lowering treatments. In summary, the atherogenic dyslipidemia risk triad is far superior to total LDL as a measure of cardiovascular disease risk. They are actually saying what I've been saying to my patients who come in with their hair on fire, oh, my cholesterol, oh, my LDL, what am I going to do? My doctor wants to put me on a statin. So what I say to them, if I look at their lipid panel, and I see, yeah, there's a high total cholesterol, a high LDL cholesterol, but they have also very low triglycerides, like under 100. I'm talking about 70, 50, even 30 and they have a nice high HDL, definitely above 70, maybe in the 80s, I tell them, you don't have a risk factor. And when they go further and they have their doctors do uh, an NMR or a VAPS test, that shows whether the LDL is small dense pattern B or large buoyant pattern A. And if they have large buoyant pattern A, It doesn't matter that they have high LDL. It's pattern A, coupled with low triglycerides and high HDL. That risk triad is gone. It is gone, irrespective of a high LDL in and of itself. Now, in recent years, investigators have focused on LDL particle number you know that APOB, rather than LDL cholesterol, is a superior measure of cardiovascular disease risk. This measure, however, has significant limitations. First, it is not limited to the LDL population, with LDL particles also found on lipoprotein A, an independent cardiovascular risk factor, as well as VLDL and IDL cholesterols, both of which are associated with triglycerides, another cardiovascular disease risk factor. And second, the preferential use of particle number rather than LDL cholesterol does not distinguish between particle types, the small dense LDL versus the large buoyant LDL, the lipoprotein little a, which have shown, which have been shown to be differentially associated with cardiovascular disease. So the appearance of a discordance between LDL cholesterol and total particle number where the particle count is higher than expected has been suggested to serve as a superior measure of cardiovascular disease risk. than is LDL cholesterol. However, the discordance correlates closely with measures of insulin resistance. For example, metabolic syndrome and diabetes. In three representative trials, it has been recorded, it has been reported that the discordance between LDL cholesterol and LDL particle number was superior to LDL alone as a cardiovascular risk factor. However, however, patients presenting with this discordance had a higher BMI, a higher fasting glucose, higher triglycerides an increased incidence of diabetes and hypertension as well as lower LDL than those who were concordant. Hence, the discordance between particle number and LDL is merely a surrogate marker for atherogenic dysl- dyslipidemia. A dominance of elevated triglycerides, low LDL, small, smaller LDL particles. And insulin resistance. You see, the particle thing—it's—it's it's very, very limited in this regard because it all stems back to the insulin resistance that causes the other derangements. So, effects of uh, effects of low carbohydrate diets on cardiovascular disease risk factors. Atherogenic dyslipidemia is prevalent in individuals with metabolic syndrome, pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes, which is currently afflicting millions of people in the U.S. More than we are seeing on paper, I promise you. There is more that is going undiagnosed. Chronic, chronic exposure to high levels of glucose and insulin are driving factors in the development of cardiovascular disease. Modest dietary changes can be more effective in the treatment of metabolic syndrome than commonly use anti-diabetic drugs in improving cardiovascular disease risk. Specifically, improvement in the cluster of components of metabolic syndrome is intimately connected with carbohydrate restriction in adults and in adolescents. Low-carb diets have been shown to improve other cardiovascular uh, disease risk factors as well, such as visceral fat, that's the fat, In your belly, between your organs, blood pressure, lipoprotein A, and inflammation. It is therefore highly relevant that low-carb diets have been studied in numerous randomized controlled trials and case reports which show improvement in glucose, lipid, and insulin-based cardiovascular disease risk factors, including a low-carb diet mediated reduction in the need for hypoglycemic medication. Low-carb diets are also effective at attenuating the atherogenic dyslipidemia risk triad in a randomized parallel trial, uh, in a randomized parallel trial, comparing the effects of a low-carb diet to a low-fat diet in obese adults, The low-carb diet resulted in greater weight loss, increased HDL, decreased triglycerides and C-reactive protein than the low-fat diet. A meta-analysis concluded that compared to low-fat diets, low-carb diets significantly lowered predicted risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, including reductions in plasma triglycerides and increased HDL, which collectively carry a robust predictive value that dramatically outperforms LDL cholesterol. And while many studies of low-carb diets have been relatively short-term, generally less than six months, there are longer-term trials and individual case reports that demonstrate the effectiveness and sustainability of these diets. For example, after one year, A group of participants with type 2 diabetes following a ketogenic diet demonstrated robust improvements in several cardiovascular risk markers, including decreased triglycerides, small dense LDL particles, blood pressure, and antihypertensive medications. These findings have been replicated and extended to two- and three-year-long uh, uh long low uh, low carb diet trials documenting improvements in numerous cardiovascular disease risk biomarkers, including a two year low carb diet intervention which demonstrated improvements in LDL particle size and carotid intima media thickness we 're talking about the jugular in your neck, a commonly used marker of atherosclerosis now. I've seen over and over again in my in my career, those who go on a low carb diet, they're on it. They wait three months. They go get a lipid profile. They get uh they get the um, the NMR or the VAPS test. We always see that pattern B LDL go to a big fluffy buoyant pattern A. It happens each and every time. It is remarkable. So the longest assessment of low carb diet effects on record by scientists who documented the safety and effectiveness of the ketogenic diet over a 10-year period in the treatment of patients with epilepsy without evidence of an increase in cardiovascular risk biomarkers. And I want to stop here and explain. We're using low-carb diet and a ketogenic diet interchangeably. Why? Because of the same thing. A low-carb diet induces ketosis, hence a ketogenic diet. They are one and the same. So it is notable uh, that Unwin's group, apparently this is a particular group they're referring to, has incorporated low-carb diet guidance in their treatment of patients with type 2 diabetes and prediabetes for over six years, including the de-prescribing. Of diabetes-related medications. When I read deep de- de- prescribing, I grin so broadly. Because as a nutritionist, it's great to see the doses of your medications reduced and eventually eliminated because we fixed the problem. These clinicians have reported the safety and efficacy of the low-carb diet with statistically significant improvements in their patients for weight, hemoglobin A1C, lipid profiles and blood pressure. Although weight loss typically occurs in response to low carb diet improvements in atherogenic dyslipidemia are primarily a result of carbohydrate restriction rather than weight or fat loss per se. And I could tell you, I have hundreds of my own personal case studies where I put that very obese person on a low carb diet. Before they've lost much weight at all, say they're still, you know, they went from three hundred pounds to two hundred and seventy. Their triglycerides, however, in that amount of time, have fallen off a cliff. So, those markers are already being, uh, are already trending in the right right direction, simply because of the diet, not because of a complete weight loss. The consistent and often dramatic improvements in these biomarkers. In response to low-carb diets, a strong support for the view that carbohydrate restriction, independent of weight loss, lowers cardiovascular disease risk. Next week, I'm going to go into part four, where we're going to talk about those saturated fats on a low-carb diet. That's what we'll be tackling in part four. I want to thank you for joining me on another edition of Layla Weighs In here on Intelligent Medicine. This is Layla Mutin, RD. I see patients regularly along with Dr. Hoffman. If you require a nutrition consult with me but live out of town, there's no need to travel to New York City. I have telephone consultations with clients from all over the country. Please visit drhoffman.com for more information. And to set up an appointment, call 212-779-1744. That's 212-779-1744. I look forward to being a collaborator in your health care.